Anthony and I are here talking to Marty Glenn and Martha Donato from Mad Event Management. Um, this podcast, we're, we're in three different cities right now, right? Anthony's outside of uh, London. I'm in yep. Las Vegas where it's really hot because it's the desert in summertime. And Marty and uh, Martha, where are you guys? Are you in New Jersey today or where are you? We're in Warwick, New York, in the lovely lower Hudson Valley. And it's also very hot here, too. Hazy, hot, and humid. Marty, you there? Yep. (laughs) She's She's downstairs. I'm upstairs. So there's no feedback. There's no. Oh, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So, what we wanted to do is uh, talk to you guys. For for those of you that don't know, um, why don't we do the, the 30 second elevator pit? and what you produce, yeah. and we'll hop into it. All right. So Mad Event Management, we are show organizers. We have consumer shows in the pop culture space. We have uh, two different conferences. One is for creators. It's a B2B conference. And then we have a B2B conference division that's in the unmanned vehicle drone for public safety sector. And we also do consulting work. Way cool. And you have, uh, what, the Long Beach Comic Con, right? That's right. Next week. Oh, my. Next week? Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for being yeah, here. Yeah, Yeah, sure. Dang. Darn. So, I, I, I wish I'd known. I would have gone down and, and said I'll be in Colorado on holiday. Uh, oh, sorry. All right. I know. It's okay. It's all right. So is it, is it comic, I was going to say, is the Comic-Con, uh, so what's it limited to, the Comic-Con? Is it, uh, I never quite know where the boundaries of Comic-Con uh, end now. Because you've got gaming and, mm-hmm. and uh, that sort of thing. So, so roughly, could you put a little focus on, on what Comic-Con covers? Yes. So primary and core is uh, comic books, obviously. Comic books, animation, television, movies, video games, tabletop gaming, cosplay, it covers a very wide range of topics. And, 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 wow. and, and really, Anthony, just to understand, we're going back to the original genesis of, of, of the industry and the, the focus on comics and creators versus what you said at the outset. You don't know where that blurry line is. And what we found was yeah. that, that the shows, by definition, got kind of diluted or, you know, expanded to a point where the, the comic book part of it was was almost non-existent. So given sure. given Martha's credibility in that, that universe, that's why we decided to kind of be hyper niche in terms of of the content is, is really inside the, the comic comic book space. And how did you go then from there to drones? That's an interesting uh, uh, movement. <laughs> That's quite the leap. Well, oh, uh, yeah. literally. Oh, yeah. Well, the, the, I think the origins of that really go back to the beginnings of Martha and my relationship. In, in my 32 years, the majority has been spent on the vendor side. And the same blurry lines that you were referencing – I started to see in the U.S. Uh, maybe 10 years ago and I started to try to form a full vertical by owning a, a show company, owning a general contractor, owning an AV company and owning a transportation company. And, and ultimately with the goal of owning a private facility, 
because that separation of church and state here in the U.S. is pretty sacrosanct. It's like you're a vendor or you're a show organizer. And in Europe and in Asia, I see that, that it's a little bit different, like the German messes and, and, and other examples. So uh, when we sold the general services contractor, we kept um, an AV company and the show organizer uh, hoping that we would be able to, you know, use some of the accoutrements as basis for new ideas and to de-risk, you know, some things that we had in our head because we own an AV and conference, you know, an AV and a sound and lighting company. So if we developed a conference, we had support, you know, on the back end. So, so <laughs> yeah, we wow. we bounced everywhere from competitive cheerleading into uh, drones. Oh my God! Health and, and wellness. Health and wellness. Uh, yeah, blockchain. Blockchain technology. Yeah. <laughs> That's like the big one right now. There's 500 million blockchain technology yep. conferences out there, and I still can't figure out what the heck it is. <laughs> And when, yeah. and, and, oh my God! And, and, that's another. That's a whole another. That's a whole another podcast, folks. That, Indeed. That's no. When 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 <laughs> when we did it five years ago, you know, it was it was kind of along those lines. It was almost like we were there too soon because, you know, the the people that we had were you know, like white paper type people who who really understood what they were saying to each other, but the rest of the world was like, hmm, what? what? <laughs> yeah. What? what? Except for. The money people are saying that it's really worth doing and private equity is really looking at it. So you should do it. And so we did it. And, yeah. And then said, all right, well, oh. I think we were a little too early to market. Yep. Yeah, that's that's something my mom used to always say with her shows that she'd launched. I was two years too early. Somebody else came in after we broke the market. Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah. kind of. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So I got to ask. I, I just got to ask. What are, you know, with it, you know, since you guys are in the more, I mean, you are doing some conferences that are B2B, but you've also got the, the B2C or the, you know, the Comic-Cons and stuff. What are some lessons that maybe show organizers could take from, from the B2C to liven up their own shows and to maybe, you know, switch things up and make it more valuable and, and as well as entertaining? You know, you're going to be on a show floor. You may as well have a good time, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Well, we do uh, on our show floors as you would expect, we have a lot of experiential areas. So I, I totally buy into the pavilion experiential area concept for as long as it's aligned with the show and it's not completely coming out of left field, that's a really good thing to do. And I'll give you an example. We had developed a relationship with the Columbia Memorial Space Museum, which is in Downey, California to develop something we called Space Expo. So think of it as um, a show within a show. And they come in mm -hmm. and they do experiments for kids. Well, adults could do it too, but really, you know, let's shoot off a rocket or let's build something with um, robotics. And they come in and they've grown year after year after year. It's grown. And all of that is just part of the experience of being on our exhibit floor. So we get a lot of families to come. That's an example of what I mean by an experiential area. They're not selling anything. They're not, uh, you know, they're not a traditional trade show exhibitor. It started with the release of one of the Star Wars movies. And the thought process was around, you know, if you look back in science fiction, you know, back to Star Trek, 
some of the things that were predicted that all those years ago became true. And we wanted to, to kind of spell out the science behind science fiction, what's real and what's not. And ultimately, that led us to an awareness of a lack of an engineering pipeline in the U.S., which led to the steam and stem part, which then ultimately led us to Virgin Galactic and Boeing and a whole series of, of other relationships that are now kind of, or hopefully, um, will be able to foster this show within the show in hopes that it becomes its own standalone event one day. Because if, if we wind right. up having, um, you know, now that we're starting to get the ear of what we were trying to accomplish through STEAM and STEM and learning is cool and nerd and geek and all that, um, it, it, it's, it's starting to take its own life, which it's been a, it's been a rough slog, but it's, you know, <laughs> it, it's getting there. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that, that most people probably don't know where down in California is, so I'm going to just fill in the back since I am from Southern California. It's in Southern California, part of the greater Los Angeles uh, region. And it's probably, it's, it's pretty much the area where a lot of the space research has been coming from in aerospace research. That whole area has been like the hotbed of aerospace and science research um, for decades. That's right. Yep, so that's right. It's a really smart place to so put Anthony, it. So, Anthony, really to link it back to, to you on drone, how did we get to drone? Well, wind <laughs> up, what wound up happening is after, after, after we launched it in Miami, uh, really around the response to the hurricane situation. Need a, need a good battery life to launch a drone in Miami and reach Well, we wound up in Southern California at the Science Center because the relationship we had from the comic book event. He has a, a, a museum that held our drone event. But what wound up happening uh, is all around, as, as Steph just said, all the aerospace industry is based right in that area. And it winds up that 50 years ago, the Apollo mission was generated from the, the grounds that we held our drone event in off the relationship that started off with comic and steam and stem. So it took a very okay. it took a very circuitous path, but ultimately it there was is connectivity between the whole thing. What are some lessons that maybe show organizers could take from from the B to C to liven up their own shows and to maybe you know switch things up and make it more valuable and and as well as entertaining? You know, you're going to be on a show floor. You may as well have a good time, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Well, we do uh, on our show floors. As you would expect, we have a lot of experiential areas. So I, I totally buy into the pavilion experiential area concept for as long as it's aligned with the show and it's not completely coming out of left field. That's a really good thing to do. And I'll give you an example. We had developed a relationship with the Columbia Memorial Space Museum, which is in Downey, California to develop something we called Space Expo. So think of it as um, a show within a show. And they come in mm -hmm. and they do experiments for kids. Well, adults could do it too, but really, you know, let's shoot off a rocket or let's build something with um, robotics. And they come in and they've grown year after year after year. It's grown. And all of that is just part of the experience of being on our exhibit floor. So we get a lot of families to come. That's an example of what I mean by an experiential area. They're not selling anything. They're not, uh, you know, they're not a traditional 
trade show exhibitor. It became a hot topic uh, because of Reed's success on taking a B2B show and throwing public elements at it of, you know, that would be the next big, you know, trend. And I, I think, you know, subsequently there was some failures within it. And, and I think there was a little bit of an overreach of the, you know, what the consumer part is. I, I, I don't think the, the festivalization part was necessarily the right um, track that people were taking. I think there's what would be that's a great question and, and I, I it's one I, I wonder because there's a lot of words that take redefining certainly when I was writing about it more than I do now but festivalization was one of these words that seemed to have a different meaning depending on who you were speaking to mm-hmm. what's your take on what festivalization means or what the word that you know what should it mean I, I use South by Southwest as an example right it, it, it started with a core a core mission and a core competency and then look what it expanded to right so that would have been mm-hmm. the pure pure consumer side of it then if you look at the the let's call it the read part of it you know I think read pop probably was outside of their early mission as an organization and then wound up being their cash cow and Lance and Greg were uh, advocates enough to take an older stodgy show like book and put a, a, a consumer facing element that's been extraordinarily successful and people watching that you know look at that and say how can I replicate that in some fashion or form I, I still think that there's an, you know a general evolution in the industry which is not so much about this quote unquote festivalization as much as it's about how do shows adapt through a younger demographic that's coming in to, you know, uh, integrate technology and integrate experience versus the traditional kind of walk up and down the aisles and do your, you know, do your business. I think there's a general fear that if you don't, if the collective doesn't adapt, you know, the viability of the shows and industry are questionable. And as much as there's this notion of live event face to face is always going to be, I do believe that. But the current model in its way it is and the way things are shifting through, uh, again, technology and consolidation in the industry, I, I mm-hmm. think there's there's certainly questions of where 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 we're going, who's going to be successful and what does it look like, you know, three, five years down the road. <laughs> It only works if the organizers can also bring the exhibitors with them. And are you guys finding some interesting activations amongst your exhibitors? Martha? We do have a few who are forward thinking. Uh, but since we're being candid on this conversa- in this conversation, I'll say most exhibitors are very stuck in their ways. They want all the work to land on the organizer side. And they just want to show up, set up their booth, engage the customer, do their thing and go home. So I found, I would say, a very, very small percentage of our exhibitors who are proactive in any of the ways we're talking about. And it's more likely that any of the out of the box or Marty and I could probably uh, take up the whole day telling you all the crazy things we've tried to do. Um, But that's mostly (laughs) on our initiative. It's pretty unusual for someone to be proactive and come to us. It's more we're the proactive ones. Marty, would you disagree? So, well, so yeah. th- this, this is a vexing problem that we have, right? And, and you talk about uh, unique ways of marketing. And I'll put it in the guerrilla marketing box. 
because of the, the kind of festival atmosphere of our show, there's a, a large public space. And so what happens is we, we generate a large crowd, but the crowd stays in the public area to do their own business. And so there's a, a fair amount of guerrilla marketing that happens and activations that happen outside the boundaries of what we're able to control. So as much as we incent the, that, that group to come inside and buy a ticket, there's a fairly sizable group that, you know, just parasitically sits on the fringes. And there are, you know, business businesses that take advantage of the large kind of a crowd that we generate that, that they can they can take advantage of. So, uh, you know, yeah. it, it, there's 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 it, it, it's very unique watching uh, those activations happen. And we have a very hard time controlling it. I think there's also the the pushback from the younger generation is they don't want to just walk up and down the aisles of a trade show. Right. It's a very passive activity and it's somewhat uncomfortable. You walk past and there are people who are in their booths and they're waiting for you to come in and when you come in they approach you and sometimes that's uncomfortable especially for a younger generation who are much more inclined to meet casually and not in such a structured environment so and that's supported by everyone yeah 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 Yeah, that's interesting so one of the things we did with our floor because it is um you're basically leasing space from a convention center and then subletting it out to your exhibitors, right? So the the 10 by 10 booth in the U.S., the standard, right? You still need to accommodate that. But what we did, for example, is we set up an entire tabletop area that is very freeform. To us, it has a structure, but to the attendee, it just feels very open and inviting. And there are no walls. There are no drapes. It's just people at their tabletops. And they're mostly artists. And they have really interesting decorative backdrops. And it's very interactive and engaging. And it takes away. We put it right in the middle of our exhibit floor. So it takes away that feel of the traditional. I got to walk up and down aisle 1,000. Now I'm on aisle 2,000. And there's there's a monotony yeah. to that but you also have to you have to Good. flow that back to the the business model right because when you when you stop setting up a functioning space there's no revenue for the contractor either from the setup itself or from the drayage and the things that you get for free as a show organizer registration xxx traditionally are incumbent upon the revenue that was derived on the other side so, so as people start to, exhibitors start to take the same square footage, but at the end of the day, they're not filling it the way they once did, either to Martha's point to make it more inviting, or to my point that, the, you know, the drayage model is, 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 is compromised. What winds, up, what winds up happening is everybody right. then needs to start finding ways to make up for that. And so... You don't want to bastardize the experience on the long haul as the business model starts to get readjusted because within the framework of consolidation, some of these contracts are three and five years and you don't see the fallout from that because the numbers don't reflect themselves in year one or two or you can start kind of having data to support your argument. It mm-hmm. takes a, It takes a few years for that to start to kind of uh, you know, have a come to Jesus moment. 
And I do believe that come to Jesus moment is slowly starting to take shape, whether that be purely through a financial prism or through an experiential prism or through a breakdown of traditional roles and relationships between facility, vendor, uh, you know, exhibitor, attendee. It's just my, you know, <laughs> my, play, my, my, my macro view of it. I think it's, it's, it's really interesting to see where we are going and we know there is change. And, and again, it goes back to also to your exhibitors, right? They don't know what they don't know. And, and bringing them down the garden path is, is also, if we're going to, if we're going to keep our industry sustainable, we have to start making these changes with our exhibitors as our partners right, but with, and with our suppliers as our partners, because if everybody's not yep. making money, we're, prepared, we'll go we're, out we're of preparing for a recession and it goes everybody away. Is. Yeah. So, Anthony's right in the middle of, of Brexit, right? right? right. So mm-hmm. every, every little red light is going off right now. And what has the collective learned off of the last recession in order to adapt and change and move? Yeah, yeah, you know, I, 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 not much, right? Not much. Just to wait another ten years. <laughs> well, yeah. it, well, well, it's, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's volume, right? So now, when you have big volume of big portfolios and that consolidation, that's all fine and well. But either, either, you know, the weak are going to fall off to the side, or the weak are going to get absorbed even more, and there'll be one more ratchet down of the consolidation piece. And then when that happens, right, <laughs> that that has its own little flow out. So, uh, you know, what in, in trying right. to prognosticate what what's that going to look like in the future and, 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 and how does your show look and, and, and where you're going to actually go? I, I, I think I think when you're top heavy with, you know, management on the financial engineering side and reporting and there's a mid gap between, you know, what seasoned middle managers should do to make their event viable. And, and really present that to a, to a, to a person, a bean counter, who is going to be looking at return on investment. I, I, I think there's, 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 a, there's a little gap there. <laughs> so what, a big gap so, there. <laughs> I, think there's a, mm-hmm. I think there's a really, I think there's a really big gap there. But <clears throat> this is where, interestingly enough, with the U.S. market at least, because it is so association-based, um, whereas in the rest of the world, there's a lot more of the for-profit thing. But here in the U.S., with 65% still being association-owned and based, they're much more in touch with their membership and driving mm-hmm. that membership and staying in business. It doesn't right. mean that they change very rapidly, but sometimes they will. And some, some have made over their, their shows, like uh, ASIS, which has, their, um, which has their show. It's a security uh, association. And they've got two big shows from Reed in competition with them. Uh, and... They went back to the drawing board and completely changed everything they did. And they're also listening. Listen to this one, people. If you have an advisory committee, listen to them. And they may actually lead you into new areas. For example, they had one guy, speaking of experiential, on their board who said, I think that we should have a drone chase and have one drone chase another and blow it up because that's where we're developing insecurities and that kind of thing, right? Um, Terrorism by drone. And so they put up an area in the middle of the show where they actually on the yeah. hour or every two yeah. hours would have a drone chase and a blow up. And they had, and they sold sponsorships and they brought in new exhibitors and they had bleachers for people to watch. And it was a huge success. And they put it together mm-hmm. in months before the show, not years. 
So again, it goes back to that area of what are you guys doing to move things yeah. forward and b- bring in those areas, right? How are you delivering? How are you delivering back? We're stealing. To we're going to we're going to steal research. ideas like that. Or <laughs> <are you> just... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> if we told you, we'd have to kill you. <laughs> Get that on tape, man. <laughs> Right, so a big thank you to uh, Marty and Marty, you've both been absolutely fantastic on this. We, incidentally, to the listeners, we lost Steph in the last five minutes. Uh, we heard an explosion. I think it was from her microwave. <laughs> uh, she'd, put, she'd put in. Uh, she was trying to dry. She was trying to dry a cutlery. There was, she said something. <laughs> some screaming, and then and then we left. So so we don't know what state she's in. I'm gonna I'm gonna call her now. But thank you so much to Marty and Martha on this. I'd like to think we're going to hear from them in uh, more than one upcoming episode. So please stay tuned because uh, we've covered a lot of good ground here. And to both of you, the very best of luck with the event next week. And, and it's been a real pleasure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah thank cool. you. Thanks thank you, thank us. you. Yep, yep. Cheers. Oh. Bye. All the Bye. best. Okay. Bye Bye-bye. Now.